This is episode number 139 with Dr. Frank Lipman. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Dr. Frank Lipman is a celebrity health guru, integrative medicine specialist, and pioneer in both integrative and functional medicine. He is also the founder and director of 1111 Wellness Center in New York City. He is a New York Times best-selling author and the creator of Be Well, a lifestyle brand which offers premium supplements, cleanse programs, and personalized health coaching to help people achieve genuine and sustainable life changes. He is a leading international speaker in health and wellness and has been featured in all of the top magazines and profiled in many, including the New York Times, New York Magazine and the Oprah Magazine and has appeared on TV shows like The Today Show, Extra and Dr. Oz. And you guys are going to love today's episode because in the show, we chat about his story and how he became a holistic doctor. We also talk about his fascinating upbringing growing up in South Africa and how that has shaped him. What is the good medicine mandala? What are the six rings and why they are so important? The best tips for each of these six rings. Why you need to know your carb resistance. The importance of sleep. Why you need to get into fascia release. Why you need to be mindful of the chemicals in your food and products. How sound can help you heal. How to find your tribe. The four directions everyone should be aware of because these things can block you from experiencing epic health and happiness. Why you need to look after your microbiome and the importance of good gut health for your health and happiness. Plus so much more. And for everything that Dr. Frank and I chat about in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 139. And before we dive into this epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week's five-star review comes from Amy Miller. And she says, I absolutely love tuning into your podcast each week. You are such a big inspiration to me and many others. And I'm just super glad I picked up your books, Open Wide and Mastering Your Mean Girl and found you. Through your books and your podcasts, you have given me skills to help understand myself on a more deeper level and have helped me grow as a person. You are a blessing in disguise. Thank you so much, Melissa. Amy, thank you, cutie pie, for such a beautiful five-star review. I'm just so glad that my books and this podcast deeply resonate and are supportive for you. So thank you so much. And without further ado, let's bring on the amazing Dr. Frank Lippman. Welcome, Frank. It is so great to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I had a shake with chocolate whey protein, avocado, coconut oil, chia seeds, almond butter, and almond milk. Oh, yum. That sounds delicious. Absolutely delicious. Yeah. And coffee. Sorry, and coffee. Oh, yum. The coffee in the shake. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds like an explosion of deliciousness. It is. Now, I cannot wait to dive into your latest book, How to Be Well and the Good Medicine Mandala. 
But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today? Because not many doctors have a holistic approach to health and wellness. So I would love to hear how you got to where you are today. Can you tell us your story? Sure. So I was born and raised in South Africa during apartheid. So I was born a long time ago. So I grew up in, in South Africa during apartheid. And during apartheid, everything was, you know, apartheid means separate. So you lived in white or black areas, depending on, on your color. You went to white or black schools. You even had to sit on white or black park benches. The hospitals, too, were segregated. There were white hospitals and black hospitals. And so I went to medical school in South Africa, and I grew up in a very politically left family. And so I was always intrigued by African culture. And during my medical training or after I finished my training as a physician, I went to work in, in a hospital as an intern. And it was a black hospital because you either had to choose a black or a white hospital. And I, as I said, I was always intrigued by African and black culture. So I went to work in this hospital in the middle of Soweto, biggest hospital in Africa, actually, Baragwanath. And that was my first exposure to non-traditional medicine. You know, I had been brought up in a medical family and been brainwashed like most of us that, you know, Western medicine is the way and the only way. And doing my internship and when we couldn't help the patients, the patient's family used to call in the sangoma or the traditional healer. And I noticed that sometimes these patients that we couldn't help got better. And I sort of just put it aside. I didn't really understand it or believe it, actually. I thought it was all in the mind. I still thought it was quackery, and I didn't really take it seriously. And then after my my residence, my internship, I went to work in the bush for 18 months. As a white South African, you had to do two years in the army. And I chose to to work not in the army, army per se, but to work in the, we had in South Africa what was then called homelands. They used to decide where certain black tribes would live. And as part of your army service, you could go work in these rural areas. So I spent 18 months in this rural area. And once again, I came in, in contact with these traditional healers, these sangomas. And once again, I noticed that these traditional healers were helping patients that we couldn't help. And that sort of started piquing my interest. And, and when I finished working there, I worked in a white general practice. And after all these years, or what, two and a half, three years of working in hospitals where Western medicine is fantastic because Western medicine is hospital-based medicine. You know, in, in Western medicine, we get trained in tri crisis care. When you're acutely ill, when you break your bones, when you have a heart attack, when you burst your appendix, that's the medicine we all get trained in as physicians. And so that was the type of medicine I had was sort of practicing or I was exposed to working at the hospital and working in the bush. And when I came back into suburbia and people were coming in and they were tired and they couldn't poop and they were stressed out, and they couldn't sleep, I didn't know what to do because I wasn't trained to help these people. And I went to the doctor I was working with. I said, Paul, what the hell do I do with these patients? I mean, I'm not trained to treat these patients. I don't know what the hell to do. And I don't just want to give them drugs because, you know, that's, I don't think that's necessarily going to be helpful. And he said to me, Frank, don't worry. Most people get better in spite of the drugs that we give them. And your job is to listen to them and observe them and, and support them and be there for them as they get better by themselves. And if sometimes when they need drugs, you give them drugs. But most of the time, most people get better without drugs. And at the same time with that advice, he was, it was a practice that was looking after the, the artsy community of Johannesburg and the left-wing community of Johannesburg. And these were people who were seeking out alternatives. And there was one acupuncturist in Johannesburg and there were homeopaths in Johannesburg. And once again, I noticed that these patients were coming in and I couldn't help them with Western medicine, but they would say to me, well, I went to the acupuncturist for my back pain or my headache and I got better. I went to the homeopath for my allergies and I got better. So I started questioning my training because I had these two experiences where 
other types of medicine were helping the patients that we couldn't help. And that sort of opened my mind. And, you know, growing up as a white in South Africa, not believing in the apartheid system, you sort of, or I got taught to question the system anyway. So I began questioning the medical system that I got taught. And that was early 80s. Then my wife and I didn't want to live under apartheid, so we decided we want to go work, go live in America. So I go to America, and I had to get a, I had to do three years in a in in internal medicine to get a license in New York. And this hospital offered me a job because they liked South African doctors. You know, South African doctors were trained pretty well, sort of similar to Australian doctors, which was different to American medicine. So. It was in an area in New York City that was burnt out at, at the time. And in, in, in those days, this is 1984, American doctors didn't want to work in these inner city areas. And the hospital could sponsor foreign graduates that they liked for a green card. And, and that's how I got into America. And I started doing my residency in internal medicine in the South Bronx in 1984, which was basically full of heroin and crack addicts basically got the job because Americans didn't want to work there. And after a few weeks of my residency, I said to my wife, I don't want to be a doctor in America because the medicine was very different to how I was trained in South Africa or how doctors are probably trained in Australia or were trained in those days. We were taught to take a really good history, do an examination and sort of make a diagnosis. We didn't have all the money to do all these expensive tests all the time. Whereas in America, you didn't really have time to take a history or examine patients properly. You had to do all the blood tests, do the x-rays, do the EKG, go study what it was all about and present the patient to the professor the next day. And this wasn't what I wanted to do. And I said to my wife, I don't want to be a doctor here. And I'd heard about this acupuncture clinic which was doing drug detox for heroin and crack addicts, which was attached to the hospital. And the doctor that I worked with in Johannesburg, sort of when I left, gave me a book called The Barefoot Doctor's Manual. And he said, because I was starting to get into homeopathy, and he said, I'm not sure about homeopathy, Frank, but you know, if you're in America, if you're exposed to acupuncture, you should go study acupuncture. So it was all synchronicity and There happened to be this acupuncture clinic attached to the hospital. So I walked to this acupuncture clinic and I walked in and I saw 50 heroin addicts sitting quietly with needles in their ears. And I went, holy shit, this is interesting. These were the same type of patients that were really hard to treat in the hospital wards. They were pulling out their IVs. They were swearing at you. They wouldn't calm down. And I walk into this burnt-out building, and here 50 of them are sitting quietly with needles in their ears. So I thought, well, this is interesting. And I went up to the guy who ran the clinic, and I introduced myself, and I said, listen, I'm a doctor at doing a residency here, but I'm really intrigued by acupuncture, and I'd like to come and hang out here and learn more. And he was blown away that a doctor would actually be interested. You know, you've got to remember, this is 1984. This is before, you know, now in America, this has become quite popular. I'm not sure about Australia, but America's popular, but 84 is 34 years ago, you know. So he was so happy that a doctor was interested. He said, absolutely, you can come work here and study here whenever you want. So for the next three years of my residency, I started living two lives. I would continue doing my residency at the hospital where I saw acutely ill patients and I was taught in Western medicine, and I was taught to see the, the, the body as a machine. And if a part was broken, you would either take it out or try to fix that part. And then in my free time, I'd go to the acupuncture clinic, and I was taught to see the body like a garden. And in, in, in Chinese medicine, you sort of, you're taught to be a gardener, and the patient is like a garden, and if there's not enough water, you give it water. And if the roots are being impinged upon, you try to remove the roots. And if it's not getting enough sun, you give it sun. It was not take out the pot. It was try and and create balance or optimize the functioning of the plant. It's a completely different way of of seeing the body. So I was learning two completely different ways of seeing the body. And at the same time, I saw that Western medicine was wonderful at, at crisis care and acute care. 
but was not actually very helpful for these chronic problems that people were coming in for after they were acutely ill with headaches and they were tired and they were bloated and they couldn't poop and the aches and pains and the same problems I saw in the in my suburban practice in Johannesburg. And whereas at the acupuncture clinic, those same problems were actually getting better with the acupuncture and the Chinese herbs and the stuff that they were doing at the acupuncture clinic. So it was pretty obvious 34 years ago to me that the future of medicine would be some type of combination of what I was learning, that Western medicine would be, you'd use Western medicine when people, when people were acutely ill, but when they weren't acutely ill or when they had chronic problems and before they got acutely ill, you'd use Chinese medicine. So that was 1984, 85, 86, and I knew that, that my training was limited, and I knew that if I really wanted to help patients going forward, that I would have to explore other modalities. So I started with the Chinese medicine, and from there I, I got into nutrition and meditation and all sorts of things. So it was, it's just been a long journey, and that's a long story, but that's how it all happened. It just happened. I, I never sort of sorted out. It just sort of fell into my lap. Thank you so much for sharing that. I absolutely loved it. And I love that, you know, both modalities are equally purposeful in their own right. And we we need we need both of them. So I love that. But in today's crowded health landscape filled with misconceptions, wellness seekers like myself and our listeners can at times feel really overwhelmed and confused and they don't know where to turn to lead a happy and healthy life. Like so many people feel really, really lost. And we've got big food, big pharma and big tech trying to shape the way that we eat and think and treat our bodies and minds, which is why you wrote your latest book, How to Be Well, and why you created the Good Medicine Mandala, which I've got to say, I absolutely love the name. But for those that don't know what the Good Medicine Mandala is, can you please explain it? And can you explain in depth what your six rings are? So can we go into depth on those two things? Sure. So how I developed the Good Medicine Mandala was for, I've been doing this a long time, and for all these years, I was trying to understand Chinese medicine from a Western perspective because, you know, when you get trained in Western medicine, you, you get trained to see the body in a certain way and then you get into Chinese medicine you start learning about qi and energy and meridians and it's a completely different language. So for many, many, many years, I was trying to understand what is qi, what is energy from a Western perspective. Now I understand it as being probably mitochondrial function and the mitochondria. And I would try to understand what are meridians? What, you know, I was doing acupuncture for all these years and I saw it worked, but I was trying to understand what are the meridians from a Western perspective. And for instance, now I see it as the fascial planes, the fascia that runs through the body. So for all these years, I tried to, you know, I started exploring Chinese medicine and and Eastern concepts. I got extremely into Tibetan Buddhism and meditation and Eastern philosophy in general. And I thought as I got older and maybe a little bit wiser, I thought, well, I've studied all these great traditions who, you know, traditions which have really changed the way I live, that changed the way I think and really helped me in such deep ways that Western culture and Western medicine really tapped into and sort of really didn't help me. I mean, it helped me in, in other ways, but I found the Eastern philosophies gave me such a deeper understanding of who I am, how I am in the world, how I am with other people. So I thought, why don't I put my Western knowledge into some type of Eastern perspective for my latest book. I've written four other books. And that's when the mandala came in because a mandala in Tibetan philosophy is often used as a sort of a, a meditation. It's, it encompasses everything. It's a sacred, something sacred that I have, for anyone who's ever been to my office in New York, I have mandalas everywhere in my homes. I have mandalas. So I've, mandalas are always found 
to be a, a sort of point of reference, a point of meditation. So I thought, as I'm a huge believer in the person, the patient being their own doctor and taking control of their own health, I thought I would use a mandala as my basis for someone using these concepts to meditate on and to think about to become their own doctors. And so the mandala has this focal point, which is you, the patient, the reader in the center, and it's surrounded by these six rings. And the six rings are what I think are the keys to someone getting healthy and well. And my six keys, and you know, you could have four keys, you can have eight keys, you can divide into whatever you want. But I thought the six keys for me are how to eat, how to sleep, how to move, how to protect oneself from all the chemicals out there, how to relax or unwind, and how to connect, how to connect with yourself, with your community, and with the earth that in the world at large. So I broke my concepts into these six basic rings. And within each ring, I have about anywhere from 10 to 25 tips. So it was just a structure that I thought people could relate to, could meditate on, and could use as a basis to start thinking about how they can take control of their own health. Mm, I love that so much. I've never come across anyone who's created this mandala type of thing. And I just think it's so beautiful because I personally love mandalas. I think they're absolutely beautiful. But could you give us one tip from each of the six rings? Sure. So let's try and take things that you possibly haven't heard of. I mean, I, mean, I don't know what the culture is like in Australia. I know some of the low-carb doctors get a hard time there. I've seen some Twitter feeds. This guy, Gary Fetka, I know he may be from New Zealand, but I'm not sure what the story is in Australia. But one of the tips would be learn about your carbohydrate sensitivity because I don't believe there's one right diet for everyone. But I do believe, and I see this more and more, and especially as people get older, and probably because you talked about big food and, and big pharma, but because of all the crap that's out there that we eat, we're seeing more and more people become pre-diabetic and diabetic from all the sugar and the crappy carbs out there that <clears throat> people are exposed to and people are eating. So one of my tips is to learn about your carbohydrate sensitivity because a lot of people, especially most of us who get older, need to probably cut back on their carbs and, and, and focus more on a low-carb diet. And we're finding more and more, more and more research is sort of confirming that, for instance, Alzheimer's is sometimes being called diabetes 3. So a low-carb diet can help your brain. A low-carb diet can help many parts of your body. But Alzheimer's, if you worry about your brain, you know, eating a low-carb diet is important. So one of the tips is, Learning your carbohydrate sensitivities because you may be more sensitive to carbohydrates than you realize or how you metabolize carbohydrates is very important. Some people are fine. For instance, my wife can metabolize carbohydrates much better than I do. So if I eat too many carbohydrates, I'll start putting on weight. My skin won't be as clear. I'll start becoming more puffy. My blood sugar numbers go up, whereas my wife can eat and that can include if, even if I'm eating too much fruit, whereas my wife doesn't have that problem. So I think the point is everyone is different, but I think it's important to realize that we all metabolize carbohydrates differently. And as we get older, that metabolism of carbohydrates slows down for most people. So you probably will need to decrease the number of carbohydrates you eat as you get older or as you become less active. Yep. I love that. I'm the same as you. I don't metabolize carbohydrates as well as my husband. He is, he sounds very similar to your wife and it comes down to, you know, understanding your body type and really knowing what really works for you. So yep. could you give us a tip for the next ring, which was sleep? What's one tip for that? Sure. So by the way, in, in the eat section, there are another 25 tips 
and it's a very, you know, why it's called how to be well is I learned a lot from, I use health coaches in my practice and my health coaches actually help my patients put into practice, you know, the information or the advice that I give them. So this is a real book, a real how-to book. It's like how to learn about your carbohydrate metabolism, how to get more vegetables in your diet, how to learn about which are the good fats and which are the bad fats, how to increase the amount of fermented foods in your diet, how to make bone broth. So it's a real how-to book. So your question, what's the next, what's another point in the sleep section? Well, let's talk about the glymphatic system. The glymphatic system is a system in the brain that only works when you sleep. So it's like a cleaning crew that comes around only when you sleep. So the the metaphor, I don't know if I use it in the book, but the metaphor I use with my patients is if you have a party at one night and you wake up in the morning, you haven't cleaned up, your living room is a mess. And if you don't clean it up and you have a party the next night, your living room becomes more of a mess. And this, you know, adds up and adds up. And after a week, your living room will really be a mess. And that's what's happening in the brain. If you don't sleep, there's a system called the glymphatic system, this cleaning crew that cleans up all the waste products, the breakdown particles of the protein and the nutrients you've been using during the day, and it cleans it up at night. And if you're not sleeping, that cleaning crew is not cleaning up all those waste products. So over time, those waste products build up and can can lead to foggy thinking and eventually, you know, once again, things like Alzheimer's disease. So they're all different tips on getting a better sleep, but the importance of sleep, you know, we, we take sleep for granted and it's probably as important, if not more important than how you eat. Mm, I totally agree. There's a common theme on my show with everyone that I interview and they seem to always mention sleep and just the importance of it. And I take my sleep very seriously. I haven't always in my teens, in my 20s, actually, you know, I didn't think it was a big deal. I kind of had that mentality of you can sleep when you're dead, but I have realized just how much it affects my health and my happiness. So I take it very, very seriously. So thank you for mentioning that. Now, what about move? What is one thing that we could do for the move ring in the medicine mandala? Well, the move ring, most people probably know about aerobic exercise, strength training, interval training. But I think an area that's often forgotten is, you know, I I mentioned it when I talked about the meridians and the fascia. So we all have this fascia that runs throughout the body that surrounds the muscles, that connects the muscles, you know, to tendons and ligaments and connects the muscles to one another. And this fascia often gets tightened. So often when we have an injury and it doesn't heal properly, you get thickening of the fascia when you sprain your ankle and you don't treat it properly, the fascia tightens. And when you have tight fascia, a lot of back pain starts with tight fascia. It could be in the hips, could be the upper back. So when you have tight fascia, it can cause all sorts of problems. So the fascia, you know, the, the vessels, the nerves run through the fascia. And when you have tight fascia, not only do you get tight muscles, but it can press on the lymphatics, it can press on the nerves, it can press on the blood vessels as well. So one of the tips is releasing your fascia. One of the ways that really, you know, one of the things anyone can do at home is use a foam roller. So I'm a big fan of tennis balls and foam rolling to release one's fascia. So that's probably a tip that some people may not have heard of. I'm not sure how big fascia and foam rolling is in Australia. I'm I'm talking to a whole new world here, Melissa. (laughs) I, I don't know. But I think releasing your fascia is key to the move part because if you have tight fascia, you're not going to move properly, and then your body, you're going to compensate. So if you have tight fascia, let's say, in your one leg, your body will compensate. You know, you may end up with hip pain and then back pain and then opposite shoulder, whatever it is, but your body compensates. So it's really important to release your fascia. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I have a foam roller and have, you know, those little red balls that I roll on, get my hips and 
get my glutes into that and it's incredibly painful, but yep. it really is so important. I'm so glad you brought it up. But yeah, I totally agree with you. I think fascia is an area that needs a little bit more time in the spotlight. So grabbing a foam roller and a tennis ball, even just whilst you're watching TV at nighttime and rolling on that really will help you. I used to suffer from really bad lower back pain. And since I've been doing it, it definitely has helped. So thank you for mentioning that. Let's go to the protect ring. What is one thing that we can do to protect ourselves? And what do you mean by that? Right. So protect ourselves, unfortunately, has to become a ring because we're exposed to so many chemicals in this day and age, in the food that we eat, in the water we drink, in the chemicals or the cosmetics we put on our skin. Unless you're very, very aware you're getting chemicals in your food all the time and you're getting chemicals in what your food is, you know, your food containers, you're getting chemicals with what you're cooking your food with. Your water has hundreds of chemicals unless it's filtered. And then, you know, if you want one point, I think people need to be aware of the cosmetics they put on their skin. Ultimately, you should be able to eat your cosmetics. You know, what you put on your skin is as important as what you put on your mouth because the skin is very permeable. It's a huge surface area. And those chemicals are going through your skin and into your bloodstream and into your body. So be as aware of what you put on your skin as what you put in your mouth. So I think using clean cosmetics or cosmetics without tons of chemicals and in, in, in America anyway, and I would imagine in Australia too, it's not really a regulated industry, the cosmetic industry. So they can put things in their cosmetics without it even being on the label often. So for instance, fragrances, you know, what the companies actually make their fragrances out of does not have to be on the, on the label. They're what they call trade secrets. So I think what you put on your body is as important as what you put in your body. And my motto is always you should be able to eat or you should almost, for the most part, be able to eat your cosmetics. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. Our skin is our largest organ. This is why I started my essential oils business, you know, therapeutic grade essential oils. That's what I use on my body with, you know, organic fractionated coconut oil or olive oil. I don't put anything on my skin that I wouldn't eat. So thank you for mentioning that. Now let's move to the relax ring. What is one tip for that? Well, I'm a huge, huge fan of meditation, but maybe everyone knows about meditation. I mean, I think that's probably one of the most important things you can do for your health for your relationships, for the way you are in this world is to learn to meditate. And granted, it's not easy because most of us have a monkey mind. But, you know, if you can make spending, you know, 15, 20 minutes every morning, whenever you want to meditate, but if you can make it into a daily habit, that's probably one of the most important things you can do for your health. And you know, it needs to become a habit. Meditation is not something you can do every, you know, couple of times a week. It needs to be a habit, mm. you know, they, and, and once it becomes a habit, you know, there's a saying that neurons that fire together wire together. Once it becomes a habit, then you just do it every morning or every evening. And once it does become a habit, it will change your life. So meditation, but everyone knows about meditation. Maybe we should talk about music or using sound for your healing. Yes. As I, as I say in the book somewhere, I don't know where anymore, that you know the daily actions you take, the ordinary things you do on a daily basis have extraordinary healing effects. And music is one of those ordinary things that we take for granted and can really be used for healing, not only to help you relax, but for many other things. So, you know, use music. You can use music to uplift you. If you're feeling down, you can use music to relax. You know, the classic example I always use is Bob Marley or reggae beats at about 60 beats a minute, which is like a, a 
slow heart. And if you put on reggae and just get caught in the rhythm, then your body and your rhythm is entrained to that external rhythm and you slow down. Same as when you go to the beach and you listen to the waves, you'll slow down. If you're in the middle of traffic, you'll speed up. So you can use music to manipulate your moods, to heal on every level. I'm a huge believer in, in music as medicine. So that's one of the tips in the unwind section. I love that. My husband's a musician, so we have a lot of music going in our house. And I have a 12-year-old stepson. And with him, I notice that the mornings we have beautiful music playing and the essential oils going, so we have sound and aroma. Because not not only does sound affect your mood and uplift you, same with aromas. So the mornings that I don't put our diffuser on and haven't got to the music yet, I notice his mood very, it shifts. It's really different. And then the mornings where I put the diffuser on and I've got some either yogi tunes or meditation music or even reggae playing in the background, just really softly, the whole house is different. Everyone's vibration is higher. Everyone's in a better mood. It really does make such a difference. So I want to encourage everyone to experiment with it. You know, jump on Spotify and grab some of Nick's amazing music or some meditation songs or reggae and yoga tunes and and just have them going softly. It really makes such a difference and kind of carries on to the next ring, which is about connect. So can you tell us about this and what is your best tip for this one? Well, connect is, is really about connecting to yourself, but also to your community and to the earth at large. So probably the easiest and a really important one would be find your tribe. How do we do that? Well, it's in a way easier with the internet now because you can find groups that you relate to. But in the old days, it used to be your local church or religious community. It can be your yoga class, your meditation class. I think it's really important to surround yourself or be able to be around, not always because that may not be possible, but to be around people that you feel comfortable with that sort of have similar beliefs to you, you feel supported by, and you know they're going to be there for you when you need them. You know, we've always lived like that. Most cultures, you know, you had your local tribe and you know you were always looked after. Unfortunately now, with the way the world is, and especially in America, but I'm sure it's happening all over, we sort of disconnected from our communities. And I think communities are important in, in our healing. Now, you need to find the, the community that you relate to. What's beautiful now is I see, especially the younger generation, my, my daughter's, her generation, the millennials, they're more and more people into this stuff. And when I, when I started getting into this, you know, my tribe was different. You know, I didn't, I always sought out sort of this holistic medicine tribe and it grew and grew over time. But now, you know, it's so easy to find your own tribe. I think I struggled maybe in the beginning, but now it's pretty easy. But I do think there are many different tribes you can find. Whatever you connect with and is meaningful to you, I think it's important to explore. I think finding passion and meaning in one's life is once again one of those essential aspects of health. So many people are not happy in a job or in a relationship which not fulfilling their needs. You know, they're just going along their, their lives without meaning. So I think finding your tribe, finding meaning, finding something that you're passionate about is really important. You obviously, Melissa, are passionate about health and and spreading the word and you've created a tribe, but I think we all can do that. Mm, absolutely. And I think one of the best things you can do, like you said, is go to where those people hang out. Those people that you want to connect with, go to those places, hang out there. I've spoken a lot about tribe on this show. So thanks for mentioning that. And I'm so glad you included that in one of your six rings because it is such a important part of this holistic medicine mandala. So I love that you mentioned that. 
But what are the four directions you say everyone should be aware of? Well, the four directions, I mean, I had to use four. I think, you know, what are the four key underlying dysfunctions? That was in a way forced because this starts getting confusing to people. But, you know, when you think of what are four important aspects of one's health, that was sort of four directions. I mean, I could have labeled eight, but I had to go with four because I had to fit it into the mandala. But the ones I put in are finding balance. You know, a lot of the, once again, this sort of is, comes from my Chinese or Eastern philosophical understanding. Finding balance, getting into rhythm. I'm a big believer in we as humans are a microcosm of the macrocosm, the earth around us. And when you start living out of rhythm as this microcosm with this macrocosm, you start creating problems. So sleep is a perfect example. When you start sitting under artificial lights at night, you know, not sort of waking up when it's when it's light and going to sleep when it's dark, obviously you adjust it, you know, within reason. But sort of understanding that the earth around you changes, sort of your body changes with spring and with summer and then into autumn and, and winter and, and what you do and, and how you live your life changes. So being in and out of rhythms is important. And, you know, our body has all these rhythms, you know, we know about the circadian rhythm. So balance, rhythm, inflammation is another one. You know, inflammation is one of those key underlying aspects of health that I think most people are now starting to understand. So many of our problems start with inflammation and it goes back to all these tips we're talking about. When you talk about all these tips, usually decrease inflammation, create balance, decrease rhythm. So that was sort of forced in there because in a mandala, you have the four directions, east, west, north, south, and I sort of had to put that in there more than those are the key ones. And the last, you know, I talked about rhythm, I talked about balance, I talked about inflammation, and I had to put the microbiome in there because we're now learning how important the microbiome is. And Maybe I should speak, you know, I'm sure you've spoken about the microbiome on this show, but maybe that's what we should speak about because I'm obsessed with the microbiome. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. We have spoken about it, but I don't think, you know, we can ever hear it enough. So please dive deep into why it is so important for our overall health and happiness. One of the things I learned early on in Chinese medicine that your gut, your earth element is the center. When your earth element goes off, then everything goes off. And then years later, we started discovering that, obviously, culture sort of knew it, but we didn't really know it from a scientific perspective. But we've learned in the last 20 or 30 years that we have these trillions of bacteria in our gut. You know, we actually have more bacteria in our gut than cells in our body. We actually have bacteria all over your body. You know, you have a microbiome of your skin, of your vaginal area, in your ears, in your mouth. So you have a microbiome. Your body has many different microbiomes, in other words, bacteria everywhere. But your biggest and most important microbiome is your microbiome in your gut. And most of these bacteria in our gut are actually good guys. They, they're providing a lot of important functions, not only breaking down foods, but making hormones, vitamins, making these neurotransmitters. You talked about you know, your gut can make you feel happy. 70% of your happy chemical serotonin is actually made in your gut. In fact, all the neurochemicals that are made in the brain are actually made in the gut. So keeping your gut healthy and, and keeping your microbiome balanced is really important, not only for your physical health, but for your mental health. Other important aspects of your gut and, and this microbiome, which is just on the other side of this very thin membrane, which is protecting you from, from what's going on in your, in your gut is 70% of your immune system. And, and, and thirdly, your gut is called your second brain. You know, I sort of explained a little bit of that now now with the neurotransmitters, but there's this direct highway, this vagus nerve going from your gut to your brain. So your gut is and your microbiome is really key to the health of your brain, of, of all your organ systems, your skin, your joints, your, your hormones, your moods. So 
to me, the microbiome and trying to create some type of balance in your microbiome is key to, to health. And by taking ourselves through the good medicine mandala, the eat, sleep, move, protect, relax, connect, that is all going to support your microbiome. So that's a great place for people to start is doing, you know, one of the things from each of those areas that's really going to be super supportive for you. Right. And the idea of the book was you can enter at any point in the mandala. So there are over a hundred tips, but you don't it's not a, a, a two, three week program that you have to go all in. You you know, everyone can enter whenever they want, when they're ready. They can start with some breathing exercises. They can start with getting a water filter. They can start with enjoying the sun, listening to music, getting a pet. They can start with becoming aware of how much fat or what the good fats are and bad fats are. So there's so many entry points. You can start with decreasing the amount of sugar in their diets. There are many different entry points and you can enter at any point and once you start feeling a bit better, you move on and you start incorporating something else. So that was the idea that different entry points for different people at different times of their lives. Mm, I love that. So it caters for everyone. But I would love to hear now, what is one thing that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Well, my weak spot is exercise. So I need to, you know, I, I ride my bike. I, I hate riding inside. So when it's warmer weather, I ride outside at least three times, usually four times a week. But I don't do enough weight training or resistance training. I got lazy with yoga after I broke, came off my bike and broke my wrist last year. So I've got lazy with yoga. So I've need to get back I just today for the first time in a couple of months actually started foam rolling and stretching again and so I need to get back into foam rolling stretching and doing some weight so my, my weakest area is exercise I tend to get lazy mm. now let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world now, besides your books. Besides my book, yeah. my How to Be Well should be in every school. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's written for for high schoolers as well. I mean, I actually, it's actually because it's all the illustrations. It was actually, you know, we came up with this concept to make it a simple way for people to learn about their health. So that would be my number one book. I know I'm biased, but I, I, I do believe it should be. What would another book be? Yes, another one. Another, which is not mine. Have you got the new health rules? That's also a really good, simple book. I, I would probably put a meditation type book in. I'm just trying to think what meditation book or, or a book that really influenced me in, in teaching me about stress and relaxation. Probably Full Catastrophe Living by John Kabat-Zinn was very influential in my journey. That probably came out at least 20 years ago, but I think is a classic. You've probably before your time, Melissa, but it's a really excellent book, Full Catastrophe Living. Okay, I'll link to that in the show notes as well as all of your amazing books. Don't worry about that. I think they should absolutely all be in the school curriculum. The two, the two ones in the school curriculum from my books would be The New Health Rules and How to Be Well. Those would be appropriate. Otherwise, not really. Okay, cool. Now let's talk about how your day looks and in particular your morning routine. How does that look? I love hearing about how people prime themselves to the day and how you stay well. So can you run us through your day? Sure. I wake up every morning. The first thing I do is meditate. So I'll meditate for 20 minutes to 30 minutes every morning. I've been a little bit off in the last couple of weeks because we have a puppy. So meditation is determined by my puppy but if I don't get it first thing in the morning now because I have to get up and walk her and let her pee and feed her I'll meditate in the sauna or I'll try and meditate in bed before I get up for her so I still even although we have a puppy we'll try get around that but normally I would and I do so I go to I have a meditation spot and I'll sit for 20 to 30 minutes and I'll meditate then I'll get up and get ready have my shake and if I'm going to work, I work 
Monday through Thursdays, I go to work and do my thing. I usually try to work from the train station to my office in the city. And that's my Monday through Thursday. And Friday to Sunday, I will meditate and go for a long ride, sauna, and then get into a cold, you know, go from the sauna to a cold water. And that's nothing special. I try to eat, basically practice what I preach. I eat a low-carb diet. So lunch is usually some grass-fed, grass-finished meat, organic chicken and vegetables, or sometimes my wife or office manager makes a salad. I will just have a salad. I try not to have a big dinner, and I go to bed early. It's boring. (laughs) I watch some American, you know, I watch Stephen Colbert, some humor. We need humor in this day and age. We're going through traumatic times here in America. So I watch... Stephen Colbert or one of these comedians, you know, making us laugh about what's going on, sad but funny. And that's it. I try and keep as current as I can with what's going on in all the new studies coming out, which is very exciting because a lot of the work that I've sort of been talking about and, you know, most of us and a lot of what most cultures have been talking about, there are more and more studies coming out whether it's saunas, you know, another study last week, a a review of the positive effects of saunas, positive effects of interval fasting, intermittent fasting. So I sort of just try to keep up with what's going on and weekends are for family and friends. That's it. I try and basically practice what I preach. Mm, Beautiful. Now, what are three things you're most recently grateful for? This new puppy who who we're looking after until my daughter takes her over. She's a real joy. Just wonderful to see this energy, playful little puppy. I'm just grateful for this new generation embracing what people like me have been fighting for for so many years. You know, for so many years, I and People in my world, in my generation, were, were quacks and outcasts and we had to do our things sort of underground in a way. And now it's being embraced. You know, half my, the time I used to spend with patients in my practice was trying to explain to people this new way of thinking about health. Now, most patients who come in, especially this younger generation, are open to it and and believe in it and and have read about it and understand it. So we're not. I'm not trying to explain explain what I'm doing. Mm. So grateful for that. Grateful to my wife, who is an amazing woman who supports me on every level. Grateful to my daughter, my people in my practice. I feel I'm I'm blessed. I love the people I work with. I love. The people in my company be well. I now have a wonderful new CEO and a whole new direction for the company. We're going to have a new website on the 15th of August. And so I'm grateful for someone to take over something I started and expand it. And it's just wonderful to see the enthusiasm of people embracing this new philosophy and trying to change people's lives. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. That's really sweet. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Meditation. Yep. I totally agree. And the second one would be stopping sugar. Yep. Awesome tips. I love those. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Find meaning in your life and, you know, find your passion. Do, you know, if you can be passionate about what you do and find meaning in what you do, you'll have wealth. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? Well, just open yourself up for it. You know, so many of us are just closed to it and are scared. Let go of the fear. Be grateful. Be kind. I think. Opening up to love is letting go. It's about freeing you, you know, letting 
opening yourself up to it. There's so much love out there. You, it's most of us are just closed down to it. So it's about being open, being grateful, being appreciative. There's a concept called Ubuntu from South Africa. Ubuntu means what makes us human is a humanity we show each other. So have more Ubuntu and you'll bring more love in your life. Mm, I love that. Into your life. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Now, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Anything that I haven't asked you that you want to share or any parting words of wisdom? Perfect. So head to Be Well. Be Well is now a website where it's way beyond Dr. Frank Lippmann. Uh, we have different experts. It's a place to come to for expert information, whether it's about moving your body, how to eat, how to sleep. We're going to have different experts giving their take on. It's going to be a real resource on wellness for everyone. So head to bewell.com, folks. Mm, beautiful. We'll link to that in the show notes. So finally, I have one more question for you. What is one thing that I personally can do and the listeners can do to serve you today? I'm a massive believer in being of service. So how can we serve you? Well, I just think, you know, opening up to wellness, just I think being kind to others, being grateful for what, you have and you know I'll go back to just practicing more Ubuntu you know I think the world needs more Ubuntu in this day and age so the more humanity we can show to each other the better the world will be absolutely well thank you so much Frank this has been amazing so many great little nuggets in here I know everyone listening has probably been taking notes and walking away with so much to digest. I highly recommend grabbing your books. They're awesome. But from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being a pioneer in this industry all those years ago and for sticking to it and for doing the work. I'm so grateful and thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. Thank you, Melissa, and thank you for all the work you do to spread the word. Wow, what an amazing episode. So many easy to digest and easy to implement suggestions, which I really want to encourage everyone listening to dive into, grab his book, start implementing some of these little tips that he shared today because I got so much out of this episode and I will be doing some of the things that he suggested, especially I'm going to get back into the fascia release techniques. So doing a lot of that foam rolling and rolling on the tennis balls, it is ouchy, but it is so good for you. And if you loved today's episode as much as I did, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Frank and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 139. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention to you guys before I go is that if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, make sure you head on over to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you can get access to my free Open Wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And I wanted to remind you all that both of my books, Mastering Your Mingo and Open Wide, are available on audiobooks. So head to audible.com and grab the audio version if you are a more audiobook type person. Jump on over there and grab them. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review right now. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. 
for wanting to be the best and healthiest and happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode and hearing Frank's wisdom, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. 